Welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 122, and in this show, we chat with Sam Albert of Sam Albert Rally. We love talking with Sam because he always gives us an honest opinion about the challenges competing as a fast privateer on a budget in the American Rally Association. Subjects included his season so far at the regional open class entry, the upcoming national open class rules changes, Ferrari motors, and a lot more. So turn up the volume and grab a cold one at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Well, good afternoon, good evening, or even good morning, whenever it is that you listen to us. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. And normally I'd start out with some news about the most recent rally or something, but uh, I must confess, I did not get a chance to follow the weekend's Southern Ohio Forest Rally very closely. I already know who won, Ken Block, but really didn't get a whole lot of other details because I was away in the, in the Midwest for another reason. I am, of course, as no surprise, a big fan of other forms of motorsport, not just rallying, and it's IndyCar racing that uh, I've always loved following since I was actually quite the little kid. Before I even knew rallying was a thing in North America, I always thought it was that thing in Europe. Anyways, I got this awesome opportunity to go and meet up with some friends at the famed Road America track in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. And I just couldn't pass it up. In fact, these friends were former hosts of the Open Paddock Rallycast. Well, it wasn't called the Rallycast back then. It was just called Open Paddock. So the Paddock name park comes from because we used to cover all kinds of motorsports, including F1, IndyCar, sports cars, and of course, Stage Rally, which is where I came in. But of course, time changes and I converted the site over to being rallying only because that was kind of more my expertise and there just wasn't much coverage of it in the States and the other subjects are covered by others. So I figured, you know what, let's do that with it. It was a great reunion with these friends of ours from a long time ago and gosh, I haven't seen them for many years. And by the way, Road America, I have to tell you, if you're gonna go to a racetrack, anyone in the US and you wanna experience something that's got that big outdoor feel like rallying gives you, Road America's it. It fits its moniker that it has of the national park of racetracks. It is frickin' gorgeous. We were greeted with great weather all weekend. Uh, There's some sh- small showers that we had um, on Saturday afternoon, but really that was it. It wasn't too hot, it wasn't too cold, it wasn't super windy, not a lot of bugs. It was, it was really perfect. My man, Joseph Newgarden won. I've always been a big fan of Joseph, even back when uh, really he started with Ed Carpenter Racing, which then was an alphabet soup of combined owners. Joseph Newgarden put on quite the show, dominant performance after he got the lead uh, from Rossi in a pit stop and just didn't really turn back. He just turned up the wick and stayed out in front. So it was awesome to watch that. The exciting part though, to the event, was not necessarily seeing my man Joseph win. It was actually something a little bit different. My friends and I happened to be wearing some IMS gear as the last time that we all got together for an IndyCar event was the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 back in 2016. Well, while we're waiting on our breakfast on race day at the, I think it's called the Gearbox or something like that. It's the, one of the concession stands there that does uh, actually pretty darn good breakfast. And we're waiting there and none other than president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Doug Bowles, comes up to us and said, thanks for wearing Speedway gear. Hey, do you mind if I get a picture with you? And oh, by the way, this is Connor Daly's mom. She's gonna take the picture. Have you met Connor Connor Daly's mom? It was so cool. So we all just chatted for a bit, obviously got pictures taken. He was just there as a fan. He wasn't there on any business whatsoever. They were, uh, they had an RV that they were parked out in and he just loves the sport. 
And I think that's just so cool. IMS is so lucky to have a president that's so passionate about their sport. I think that's key to their increasing success and growth over these past year. Awesome to see Doug Bowles and so many other people that came out. Track was packed with fans and it was just a really, really fun event. Of course, the other big happening for me over the weekend was uh, a tornado warning that uh, came across at Chicago O'Hare. We were just getting in the plane and about to leave and these massive thunderstorms came through. They made us deplane. We had to grab our gear, get off the plane, get into an area that was had two walls on each side and stay away from the windows. The shelters, I guess, were full because they had some people go into some shelters they have there at the airport. The runways were all shut down and this massive rain cloud moved through. It went through and passed through pretty quickly, no damage to the airport, thankfully. But that caused enough delays that missed a connecting flight going home. That was unfortunate, but you know what? Delta took good care of me and about a hundred others that were stranded for other weather incidents. There was a whole bunch of, there's just this massive frontal line of yuck that came through the Midwest and caused all kinds of delays for other people as well. So. But they took care of us. We got some hotel vouchers and food vouchers and it was all kind of taken care of. Thankfully, my work was okay with me taking an extra half day off. Just flew in the next morning and you know, it all worked out okay. So thanks to Delta, honestly, for doing what they did. It was making the best out of a stressful situation that, you know, they have no control over the weather. Those things happen. So I guess I can add the unplanned overnight stay near an airport to my list of new experiences, I guess. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with our interview with Sam Albert right after these messages from our supporters. Go, five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, pull left plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, advanced rally training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training, or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. That is the official opening sound of the uh, Open Paddock Rallycast. Welcome to the show, Sam Albert, or welcome back. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good because I got a beer now. Good, good. Well, <laughs> I am just being hydrated here with some water and noon, so... I'm not too fancy tonight. It's a school night. Uh, well, the thing is, is like this is like what I, I had six cans of this uh, prickly pear stuff out of Eugene, and it's pretty good. And, you know, it's a nice warm day to have it. You know, something a little more fruity-ish, not too fruity, thank goodness. But it's like uh, I think I've had this beer on this show like several times. It shows how slow I go because the only time I drink is when I do podcasts. <laughs> That's fair, but it does sound like a good intro to summer summer drink. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I would be drinking the uh, awesome Gravel Slayer beer, you know, that we have for the Oregon Trail Rally, which was pretty cool. But I'm uh, taking all those cans that I have left and packing them up because I'm going to see some friends in Wisconsin this weekend for the IndyCar race at Road America and taking some of that uh, that signature beer to them so they can give it a try and have the commemorative cans. There you go. Just spread on that rally love. That's exactly it. Spreading the rally love. Well, speaking of rally love, I'm going to start off. Let's just talk about Oregon Trail real quick. Kind of just an overview. Uh, Dude, talk about love. Record entries. I mean, it was hard just to get in on the entry list, wasn't it? It was. And that was the first race that I had of Oregon Trail was just trying to get in there. Never mind even getting the the Subaru discount. Uh, That thing went, I don't know, must have been a couple milliseconds because I think people are writing scripts or something to do their entries for (laughs) 
I think, yeah, there's like, ref- they got the, like, the form, like, pre-filled, like, two minutes before it's known. Yeah, it's wild. And they're just, boom. <laughs> I think it was three minutes that I got mine in. And, and it was gone? I kept on trying to enter the Subaru code, and it was still not working. I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. Sure enough. Really? Three minutes? Yeah, it was wild. That is wild. Yeah. That's wild, but yet awesome that, you know, there, there's such a demand. That, that makes me feel good as an organizer and just just the the health of rally as a whole so that's kind of a cool thing for sure and record number of entrants though that was really cool to see i guess you've been to other events around as well and we had 90 i think originally obviously some fall by the wayside you enter before olympus happens and things like that but there's not very very many events that we have nearly 100 entries no and it was just impressive the the sheer variety of cars that showed up too i mean there was plenty of good fast cars plenty of you know that's spread out the entire range and then also some really unique cars it was great to see the the audi s1 replica there I and mean, just oh victor's car yeah. yeah so cool and it's got that five liter quattro motor that ran back in the group b days that thing is just it sounds so different and so I good know. I, sometimes i wish i could spectate or a five cylinder that's right, what I meant. right did i say five liter i meant yeah. five cylinder <laughs> i know what you meant yeah super cool to see all that yeah, yeah, very cool to see all that. Yes, a good variety of competition out there. We changed things up also with, with this rally this year. Um, some of it not by choice, but uh, we ended up doing a different way of doing the, the stage at PIR, mostly on tarmac because we had to make it. This is what I found funny, is they didn't want us driving on the grass because of Xfinity coming. Did you watch any of the highlights or anything from the Xfinity race last weekend? No, that's that's not my jam. They were on the grass a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, man, plowing through it, like just digging up the grass because it rained. And I'm not a huge NASCAR fan, but NASCAR on a circuit with rain tires, hilariously fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I've heard that the circuits are a little bit more fun to watch yeah. but i still just haven't managed to convince myself to do it yet yep yep well if you can find like a replay of that one it, it was a lot of caution laps but it was it was pretty funny sure <laughs> it, it's i mean this thing they're big they're heavy that their arrow isn't designed for that kind of th- th- they've got just so much horsepower just trying to just keep the traction it, it's just hard you step on that throttle a little too much and they're just gone. And they touch the curbing and then all of a sudden there's air under the car and it doesn't know what's happening. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's it's pretty crazy. But anyway, so we changed up PIR for that. What do you think of the reformatting we did of that uh, PIR stage? Because I, I really want to get kind of competitor opinions here on that. Yeah, so there's a couple things that I definitely liked uh, and a few things that I didn't. But I would say namely the, the pros to that format that we had was the length of it. And actually, the time spent on the track was, was super fun, especially as a good warm-up, knowing that you had Mary Hill and Goodno the next day to kind of be like, hey, how's this car actually going to behave? And you kind of have this like low-risk chance to, to get a feel for it and be like, hmm, maybe tomorrow I'm going to do this or I'll you know stiffen things up or I'll run a sway bar or whatever, just to kind of get a general feel of how the car is going to behave on tarmac. Because a lot of us don't have a lot of you know chances or opportunities to get the car out onto tarmac aside from being on the street. And you can't get really anything meaningful from just driving on the street, at least legally. So it was a good good opportunity there. The single stage, like the length of it, I liked it better than you know running like two smaller stages or something like that that's been done before. Um, so the length was good for a super special. 
the only things that I didn't like was the super, super narrow back section kind of in the, I guess, was that the southwest corner of the track, kind of right after the section where where Kyle Tilly um, went off and rolled the car. Oh. It's just super narrow, and there's the concrete, and they had to put the extra concrete blocks in there to... Uh, because of the cutting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it was, you weren't really doing a whole lot of racing in that section. It was just kind of make it through and get to the next section where... You're, <laughs> you're dodging concrete blocks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Nobody that likes or doesn't like body work is going to go too crazy in there so uh, i didn't go too crazy in there right right yeah i'm envisioning like going forward if we just kind of reversed the whole thing because i don't think you'd have that cut situation in the other direction right right they were really concerned about it because especially with that uh you know on the other side of the pond there there was that other grate and they had another concrete barrier there because it could go off into another part of the drainage system and all that stuff and i'm like yeah, if we maybe we went the other direction, it wouldn't be as much of an issue because we've kind of done that before and the cars will be more pushed out and the line is just very different. So, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool but when I wreckied it and I'm like, yeah, the, the, the mileage was really neat for sure. I think that, that was nice to get four miles in there. So, And the timing of day when we had, I guess it was the second running of it, just in full golden hour and the pictures and video that came from that stage were just... That's right. You just posted a, a video clip from you guys from the tarmac stuff, and that just turned out gorgeous. Yeah, the, the lighting was just spot on for all of that. So that was a, a nice little side benefit too, just the time of day getting getting those sort of captures. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of rolling from that into our, our day one or the full day that we had on, on Saturday with the Mary Hill and Good No together, having a whole loop of tarmac. Now, so it sounds like you actually were one of the ones that switched to tarmac tires and did a setup change. Yeah, I only changed to tarmac tires and then did a couple uh, suspension adjustments just with the the clicks. But just kind of stiffened things up a little bit there. Had I had a little bit more time and experience, I probably would have ran full sway bars and maybe even thicker sway bars. Because I was watching some video from just from PIR and I was you know lifting my back rear tire and stuff. So just trying to keep things a little bit more planted and on the ground to just uh, get a little bit more grip reduce that body roll but uh all in all it was it still worked out really really well and i was actually uh impressed at how much grip there was just having i think mary hill and pir before the only real tarmac experience that i have uh in that car um it was fun i wish i had some more time so i could you know tack it a little bit harder and harder i was a little bit more conservative i think on it because i wasn't too confident in how the car would behave and it turned out that it did way better than i thought so yeah too conservative want to go out there and do it again, go harder. So I think I'm going to try to do some of the uh, the Northwest Hill Climb Association events. I was just going to say, there's that Mary Hill Hill Climb they do in the fall. I mean, they may do it multiple times a year, but I know there's one September for yep. sure. Yep. And they got a couple, you know, all within, you know, a few hours drive, some that are further, but, you know, it's pretty accessible and they're cheap events. And it sounds like it's pretty low key. And I have a couple of friends that have done them before too. So uh, it sounds like a good experience and a good, good testing opportunity. Just leave the car in full rally trim and throw the tarmacs on there and, and let her rip. Yeah, it does sound like a good time. What do you think of the, the anti-cutting devices that we had to come up with? For the most part, when I went back up there, it seems like all of them, most all of them stayed up. I think somebody hit one of them. 
Yeah, I think there were a couple knocked down. You know, Krista and I in the car when we were doing record, we were like, are those really filled with concrete? Yeah, they're like 80 pounds. Yeah, so we, we weren't going to test it. We thought about, you know, actually checking them. But yeah, we did see a couple knocked over, but nothing looked like it had obliterated anything. So it looked like people mostly behaved. But they didn't really change a whole lot. Yeah, it, it kept us from cutting in a couple spots, but it was really interesting to compare times from when we did it in 2019 and we were still faster. I don't know if that was the improvements that we had made to the car, if we're just a little bit more familiar, but we were quite a bit faster this year compared to years past when we, or when we did have the ability to cut. So yeah, it's, it was interesting to see that comparison. Yeah. I, and I can see that if you can, if you can get more grip by not cutting because you've got cars in front of you, you know, you're, you're farther up on that running order, but not, at the very front, and it doesn't take many cars for that thing to get completely polluted. Right. It was nice to have the second running not be just all marbles everywhere. That was nuts. There was still a little bit, a couple spots, but still, yeah, it was it was nice to be able to go full attack and yeah, and not be concerned, about, especially that last little turn right before the the flying finish where lots of people tend to spin. That was still yeah. That one is a very tricky one, and still again this time because I do we even have one of those anti-cutting devices on that one? I'm not sure if we did. Not right there, no. Yeah, that was the one I think that we, we ran out of and we didn't have as m- enough or something. Anyways, yeah, same thing again. Every, <laughs> there were people spinning, you know, sliding long on that last turn before the flying finish. Never uh, seems to fail that spot. Yeah, rally <laughs> drivers that can go rallying, that's what they do. Yep, yep. So then we, of course, Sunday, again, this quick overview, just kind of, of what was different. The traditional stages we're used to, sounds like the water crossing wasn't super full, which was nice to not overly damage vehicles. Yep, totally fine. <laughs> I'm sure you're happy with that. And then we ended up doing that combined thing of taking the stage that's Boyd uh, mixed with Shadowbuck and, and making it a combined kind of thing called uh, Cowabunga. Unfortunately, because of the long straights kind of in between a couple of the twisty sections, having to have all those uh, virtual chicanes. What's your thoughts on the virtual chicane business? So the concept of having a virtual chicane is fine by me. I mean, I'd still prefer an actual physical chicane because they're fun. I, d- I just... Oh, they're a pain in the ass to set up as an organizer. I'm sure. And you've got to watch them. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's there's lots, yep. lots that goes into the actual physical one. But the, the virtual chicane, and even if we had those it's fine except that it doesn't always pick up right away so it can get really frustrating when you're coming in there and i was looking at our our data from cowabunga and there was times that i think the slowest i slowed down to before it triggered was like 11 miles per hour and it's a 25 mile per hour trigger and i'm just sitting there like you've got to be kidding me like this is ridiculous and Finally, you know, the light comes on on the rally safe and, and we go. But yeah, two of them were like, we had to significantly slow down and keep slowing down before it finally triggered. Because I, you know, I, I knew it was 25 miles per hour. So I just kind of targeted right around 20 and it still wasn't going. It was like, Chris, as you see, yelling at me, stop, stop, stop. You know, and the end of the virtual chicane is, is coming up. And I'm like, all right, fine. And then it finally goes and we get going again. So that's that's a little frustrating, just uh, the technology and whatever it is, whether it's the, you know, how fast the GPS updates or does the math, whatever it is, you know, behind the scenes that's going on, it, it does take a little while. But in theory, everybody else is dealing with the same thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Everybody's dealing with that. So I guess actually, hopefully that's just kind of a wash. Right, right. And I, I think it is. I think the times generally reflect that. There's no like significant differences there, but... 
in the car, it's it's maddening to to be held back like that, and you're just like, all you want to do is just go because you know you're just so, right. so slow. Well, and, and it's probably a really big interruption to your rhythm, right? Because you get create this flow, you, your co-driver, you in the car. I mean, you're just you're go go go, and now all of a sudden, slamming on the brakes mid-stage. This isn't transit, right? right. And it's not like you're trying to move around physical chicanes where you can create a rhythm with that and you're still in go mode. You literally are having to essentially just stop for a bit. That's yeah. I can imagine that's frustrating. Yeah. It's definitely an interruption. Um, you know, as soon as she says go, then the mind's back on and everything's switched on. So it's not, yeah. it doesn't interrupt too much in, in that sort of way, but just the whole process of it can be just puts you in a different spot for sure. For sure. And then, of course, having fans back. And we had, I think we had a pretty good amount of spectators that came out and uh, saw things. Uh, park exposés were pretty full, and it was just great to see some people coming out. Yeah, I mean, it was it was packed. You know, same thing with Olympus, too. Like, all, all the park exposés were packed. It looked like there was tons of people out at PIR and then up on the hills, you know, Dow's Mountain, that, the, the hairpin. There's a bunch of people on the hillside there, a bunch of people on, uh, on Boyd in that little fun section after the jump bunch of people there so it looked like uh looked like the fans are out in force again which is awesome yeah it's so, so nice to be kind of past the worst of this pandemic stuff although for me <laughs> the frustration is that you know this omicron thing still kind of getting some people um thankfully most everybody i know they're just getting mild symptoms but i lost three i think it was volunteers for shakedown stage i'm the stage captain for shakedown and yeah they all called me uh yeah me and my uh my friend that we're gonna do this together we both got COVID. Yeah, stay home, bud. Yeah. You know? You know, unfortunately, we're still experiencing those sort of interruptions, but hopefully everybody is, is weathering through it just fine for the most part. Well, and I was just happy they were considerate that they were testing, you know, and making sure they didn't spread it to other people. And so that that was really cool. And I know we're in an outdoor setting for the most part, but uh, they did the right thing. And they'll be out here to volunteer for the next one. Hopefully they'll be back out. Yep, yep. There's always another one. Exactly. So let's talk about your season so far, Olympus. Um, I hadn't seen you out since I think it was 2020. You were then, I believe, active duty for a while. So you're 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 away, and we hadn't seen you on the stages for a bit. But you end up coming to Olympus, and dude, that was dominant. Yeah, it felt good. Like everything just worked. Uh, I, I don't know. I I feel like the little bit of a break kind of helped in a way. It built the anticipation. It built like the desire to get back out there and compete and, you know, prove that I still have the pace and all that sort of stuff. And watching all the other competitors over really the last year and a half competing and seeing everybody getting faster and faster. I'm like, oh man, like what's, what's going on out there? And I'm, I'm missing all Speed this. factors are going up, aren't they? Yeah. People are getting quick. So uh, it, it made me nervous. I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm still going to be able to be competitive. And so I just, you know, I put a lot of time watching, you know, stage video from from previous years and refining a couple notes on stages that we knew we were going to repeat. And I think that paid off. And then just in general, just, you know, putting all in like I was like, Krista, like this is our this is our first one back together. Let's like, let's do everything that we can to to do well and so we worked our tails off and put in the time perfected the notes and uh, spent a lot of time in the car uh, before the event 
luckily nameless performance offered up some shop space to us to you know do some prep on the car and we got it all fixed up from our our last olympus when we blew the output shaft on the transmission and we upgraded a couple other things and just did all all the little details that that add up to make for a successful event and i think all that prep all that time and effort paid off and, and having a good result at olympus now did you do any changes you know upgrades to the car or anything or is it really just uh making sure it was just prepped properly and, you know, replacing the stuff that was worn out or broke. So, I mean, the only upgrade was a, a beefier output shaft that replaced the stock one that broke. Gotcha. And then other than that, it was just going through everything and cleaning up, you know, measuring stuff, making sure the alignment was proper, all, all these little things um, just to, to try to make it, make it right. However, we didn't really get to experience this because it happened just before the last Olympus in 2020 uh, when we had fixed something. Uh, it was a configuration within the ECU that was shutting our ABCS off, our, our variable valve uh, timing. Oh, right. So we had about, remember, Matt, something around like 60 more foot-pounds of torque coming out of that. And Olympus, you know, we only did three stages and it was rainy, so we didn't really get to to see what that was like. So we had a little bit more power going into to org or into Olympus this year than in the past. At least down low, like, you know, really, really good torque. However, we did lose some some horsepower up up top, which we also had at Oregon Trail, which was kind of a bummer. Um, we were trying to everything that we possibly can. So we were changing, you know, exhaust cams, tried a different smaller turbine housing, which is still on the car oh, wow. to try to build up a little bit more boost. Cause we were, we we're wondering like the car was down on power for a little while and we just couldn't figure out what it was. So yeah, it, it made all this torque, but we lost a little bit of the top end. Like it dies off pretty quick. And our, like our power band is probably somewhere around a thousand to 1200 RPMs only before it completely oh, wow. just falls off. So I have like, yeah, my, that's real low. Yeah. My rev limiter is set now. I don't have it in front of me, but I have like the the shift lights set by gear, and it's like I don't know. It starts at like five thousand RPM, and then it drops down to like forty two hundred RPM by fifth gear for like when to shift, and it makes peak power at like thirty six hundred RPM. So it's it's not a very big range no, it's to not. be driving. Wow. So it's just pretty much you go, and then it's bang, 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 bang all the way to sixth gear, and then you just sit in sixth gear. So we're gonna we got to change that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You were talking about the alignment stuff, and, and suddenly I'm curious, the nerdy guy that I am, uh, how do you like your car set up when it comes to an alignment uh, when you're going to, well, quite a bit twistier, I guess, at uh, Olympus, so maybe you have it a little different. But do you like a car that's you know got more camber in it or, or whatever, or do you like it a little more neutral? What, what's your typical setup? So I like to try to keep the car as straight as possible for as long as possible. Uh, so I have it pretty conservative uh, in that like I have mostly... Uh, towing in the front uh, that's mostly due to the deflection and the bushings um, because it'll it'll start to tow out when it's starting to get deflected so it's set a little toe in so it kind of neutrals out under pressure and then the rear that's all spherical so it stays nice and solid but that still also has a little bit of toe in, in the back as well for stability and then i run very aggressive diff settings as well so i'd like to, i like to be forced to kind of pitch the car into a corner and get the car straight as soon as I touch the throttle and, and just power straight on out, just kind of my style, I guess. So, so you set up with a little bit more, I guess would be like more understeery, but you then have to pitch it 
So that meant that way it's ready to go on the way out of the corner. Exactly. Yeah. The I I find the understeer under power is good just so long as that you've you've done your job on the corner entry. Um, if you're too timid and you don't get enough weight transfer and and with that enough rotation, then it and it under rotates, then you're kind of fighting the car on the way out. Right. Probably not the best at Olympus. If I had the time and and all that, I probably would switch out the front diff to be a one-way setup instead of a 1.5-way, which I currently have, uh, just to make it a little bit easier to drive in the in the tighter stuff. But I'm not tearing the transmission apart every event. That's just, yeah. that's a little <laughs> for, for me. You are a privateer. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's interesting, though. You know, it just makes you think about, yeah, it's like instead of having the car being aggressive, it's you have to be aggressive with a car in this setup. Right, right. Yeah, that's cool. Sorry, I, I, I nerd out on some of that stuff because I, I have no idea. I'm not a driver myself, but I always like think about, gosh, how would I want it, you know? So I nerd about, about this stuff every day. Krista, I drive Krista crazy with this stuff. I'll go to bed and we'll be, I'll be starting to just talking about some random idea I had with the rally car. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that is how it happens, though. It's like you get those ideas that just come at you at different times. Like, you know, if I had put in... <laughs> exactly. That's so much fun. So, obviously, great result uh, at Olympus. Although, you did have a moment in Chadney Corner <laughs> where you guys almost kind of went off, but you saved it. That, that was a tricky kind of off-camber place, obviously, but ended up coming through with it with dramatic win. I mean, just right out and way out in front there, which was really cool. And then you come into Oregon Trail. Were you looking at that entry list to start with of who your competition was going to be? Not really. I didn't have a target. I didn't have like a goal. Um, you know, knowing that Jeff was there, I, I didn't know Jeff was coming. So that's always a good pace check for me to like see where I am compared to him. Um, just because we've always had like the same little progression yep. over the last, I don't know, whatever it is, five, six years where he's just always slightly a little bit ahead of me but we're both improving kind of at the same rate. And I was just kind of waiting for him to reach that upper limit so I can finally catch up and we could be right on that same same spot. Other than that, not entirely. I think I was going into Oregon Trail wanting to, to just run my own rally. Like you said earlier, I guess, you know, just uh, having to kind of pick your way around PIR a little bit, learning the, the tarmac setup and, and, and how that was going to improve things. Then you get into the, the real stages on Saturday there. It so- seemed like you were not quite at full power. Uh, at the beginning of the day. Yeah, so unfortunately, things happened. It actually started the night before. So backing up to PIR, the second running, uh, as we came out onto the track to go to the hairpin uh, by pit lane, as we were making that turn, the car just shut off. Oh, really? And I was like, oh, no, I think we're running out of fuel. And we go down, we make it through that long straightaway, and then pretty much every corner after that until the finish the car was shutting off at the end of the corner and it felt like it was, you know, starving of fuel. So we brought it back in and took the fuel tank apart and it's like trying to figure out there was plenty of fuel in it. So it wasn't a fuel starvation issue, at least from lack of fuel. So we were like, all right, well, let's just kind of go nuclear option with it and just do everything that we can. So we swapped the fuel pump out. We changed out a, the, like the stock cartridge filter that's in there, bypassed that, like did all, you know, everything that we could just to like improve the fuel system in there and we go into Saturday morning and we do Oak flat reverse, just fine. Great stage, super fun and fast and, and all is good. And then we have a long transit over to Dow's mountain. And I say we made it up uh, just pretty much to the, the crest of it on the top. 
and we start feeling similar issues. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what is going on? And then sure enough, for the rest of that stage, we were just every corner. It was starting to cut off or, you know, and, and dying. And, you know, I, I saw some videos of us, you know, doing the hairpin and the cars died again there and just embarrassing and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> because but, right for the spectators of all places, yeah, of right? Of course, of all places. Yeah. Uh, but we finished the stage. I think we were about 50 seconds slower than we should have been. And on the transit, we ran out of fuel completely and had to get towed back. And, and thanks to, to Matt Dickinson for for hooking us up and, and bringing us back to service. But yeah, so whatever changes that we had done the night prior had completely richened the tune. And we actually did run out of fuel on that side. So separate issue, somewhat related. But yeah, we ran out of fuel on that stage or we were starting to run out of fuel on that stage and it was dying out. So that really sucked. That was a... Uh, that was not a good way to start Saturday. But luckily, we got back to service. I did the initial, like, kind of leaning out of the car. And then we had Mike McGinnis, who's now working for Rally Ready as their uh, executive director, CFO. He's got a couple of different hats there. He's also their lead engineer. And we were we were crewing with Rally Ready. And he also came over and helped kind of refine what changes that I did to make it, you know, a little bit safer and from there on out, we had no more issues. So do you know what the initial cause from the very beginning was? or uh, From the very beginning, I think it was the cartridge filter. Okay. It was kind of old, and it's not very compatible with E85. And I just hadn't even thought about it. Right, because so some of those sure things just, react to that yeah. to the ethanol. And mm-hmm. gosh, I remember when they first started doing the, the blends, you know, mandatory blends and all the fuels, and people would be filling up their boats at the gas station and all the boat motors had a lot of seals and stuff like that that were not designed to be able to handle. I don't know if it's more acidic or what it is. Anyhow, yeah, that stuff can do, be bad news to things that aren't designed for it. Right. It still doesn't really make sense to me because I would think that the fuel pressure regulator would, would still handle that just fine. But whatever it was, we were we were pig rich on that transit. And yeah, we just bur- were burning fuel. Gotcha. So then... Obviously, at that point, were you looking at the time that you dropped 50 seconds, which kind of sucks? Were, were you then it's like, okay, we're back in it. You're just kind of seeing where you are and realize you had some competition? Yeah, so at that point, we were, you know, we, we fell back in the regional standings. And, we're, you know, we're, we look at the, the overall combined, really, when we're, we're competing. Just at the end of the day, it's we kind of dial in on that, that regional just to make sure everything's okay. So, you know, we had fallen back quite a bit. And we just, you know, our game plan was pretty simple, you know, climb back up as high as we possibly can by the end of Sunday. And then, you know, going into Sunday, we're like, all right, there's quite a little battle brewing, you know, in the overall between with Derek Nelson, Dave Karapetian and Alejandro. You know, Patrick Grusco was coming up there. And then, of course, yep. we've got Alejandro, who, you know, finally got to have a solid running in that AP4 RAV4. And that car is wild absolutely wild and so you know we were trying to sneak up on him and then i think he finally realized it with just a couple stages to go and he he you know kicked it up a notch and he started to fight us back off and you know you, you caught us at the end of starve out and <laughs> we were trying everything we possibly could and you know i don't think we could have driven the car any faster it was just we tried everything is that is that the hardest couple of stages you've ever driven for sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, talking to Alejandro at the end of the event, we were both talking about how much faster we were driving at the end of Sunday 
to just try to win. And it was, it was such great competition. And I think that we learned so much from it and the, you know, the experience of, of driving harder than we normally would, but also like driving hard enough so that we would have good pace, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's, there's a difference of like driving hard and like driving hard and still being fast. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to learn. And I've, I've definitely learned my lesson before thinking like, Oh, I want to make up some time. So I'm going to drive harder. And then I just end up being slower because I'm, you know, super sideways. I'm braking way too late or get on the throttle way too early, just doing something stupid that ends up slowing you down, even though it's, it's quite exciting. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't contribute to you having a faster time. So, you know, it was, it was really good to have all day Sunday to just learn that next like level of speed and, and being smart with it and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I think we both gained a lot from it. I think a couple other people did too. I think Patrick Grusco was also kind of in that little zone of, Hey, I also want to push cause I want to climb up in the, to the top 10 and, and get a good solid you know, placing there. And so everybody was kind of just leveling up all day Sunday, which was super fun. You know, I, that, that's the thing that that was kind of kept, getting me too, is that, it's one of those everybody was raising up together as, as you guys were all kind of in that group kind of competing. And you're now learning what, yes, I can do this, right? You, you push that as hard as what you thought you could. But now it's like, wait a minute, that could be the new normal. Right, right. Yeah, old limits become the new normal sort of stuff. And it's it's fun. It's, it's a really good feeling to have that happen uh, as a race car driver. I, I honestly haven't seen you as happy to I, I don't want to say lose come I mean, you're still on the podium you got second but it, it like i said it seemed like everybody just had such a good time pushing that extra bit and it, it i think for me as someone as a fan and watching you guys and and seeing your smiling face like you know man i was you know ran to that power stage and you didn't quite beat him but man you you were happy to push that hard i mean in my mind i, I feel like i, I still kind of won because we had those issues but <laughs> True. True. I mean, who knows, right? In my mind, in my mind, I know that doesn't count. But that's, that's, that, that was that was how I, I reasoned it in my brain, so I wasn't upset. There you go. Second. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, did, you like you said, you lost fifty seconds. Yeah. If if those fifty seconds were back at the end of the rally, you're right. You you probably would have won, but it doesn't count. You just don't know if that was that close to him. Then he did push earlier, so who knows, right? right? So for sure, and. And to be honest, like Alejandro is a great driver and I've known him for a very long time. We actually grew up in the same, not same town, but in the same area. We went to the same high school and all this stuff. So really? Alejandro, yep. Yeah, his his older brother uh, and I were classmates. Yeah, so we've we've known each other for a good while and I'm always stoked when he's out because he's he is a great driver as well. I think it's just growing up on those same logging roads and learning to drive there contributed us to a to us both becoming rally drivers. As I say, do you guys, you know, do any like any, any uh, competition stuff way back when you were younger? I don't think so. I didn't start competing in anything until after after college, and you know, we both he started later on in life as well. Yeah, it's just kind of funny to have that have us start racing rally like well after we have gone our separate ways in life and you know moved in different parts of the country and whatnot. And then next thing you know, you're meeting up at stage rallies and competing again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's rad. It's That's fun. really cool. Oregon Trail was awesome. You guys were the highlight of the weekend. Um, although the other fun thing was the fact that somehow, in a weird twist of fate, the fact that there was an, a, a tie to the tenth of a second between Brandon and, and Travis going into the final day and A-Ray not having a rule for that, which 
honestly, who, who would think of having a rule for that, right? I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's wild. It's, but it's, you know, it's testament to, you know, the how much faster Brandon has, you know, become uh, and stepped up as, as a teammate of Travis and, and seeing them now this close in their level of competition. And it's awesome to, to watch those two uh, progress further and, and watching, you know, Brandon rise up. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think Travis said many times before that Brandon is a more analytical one, whereas, you know, Travis more the uh, brave flat out, which, you know, obviously, we, we kind of know that about him. But, you know, you would think that Oregon Trail would be more of uh, Travis's rally to win just based on how fast it is. But boy, when it came to turn up the wick, it, it was definitely Seminuk that took it. Uh, Travis got the power stage. So I guess he, he got that as as a win there. That was a uh, really good fun action to watch. Uh, Nobody was going to touch the WRC car, though. I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah, no, that was a whole other level of just. It, it was so gorgeous and fun to see it in person at flat out speeds. So I got to enjoy that. <laughs> it just looks so unnatural. I, I watched a couple videos of that car going through, and there's that that right hander that was right after the start of of the old Boyd short stage. Mm-hmm. So you had that straightaway, and there's like a, a right four. And watching that video of that car go through there, and just how sucked down to the ground it was, and the speed that he was able to carry, it just looks so not real. Like that, how is it doing that? That doesn't look physically possible. It just shows how much that arrow really does contribute to the performance level of those cars. Fat and an active center diff. Yeah, yeah. There's those things. <laughs> that helps a little bit too. But yeah, but yeah, the arrow definitely in the high speed stuff. It's just it's crazy good how different it is. Although it's funny to hear uh, Travis um, when I talked to him earlier this year was about how different it is to drive with arrow as they you know started adding those bits onto the onto the car and how he learned how to drive the air slayer thing is that right. you go just a little too much yaw and suddenly you lose all the arrow and the car just shoots off the road right right <laughs> so you have to keep it within a narrow range of yaw so you can't be as wild with your driving for, for it to actually work for you it's kind right. of interesting and you really shouldn't have to you know put a whole lot of angle into it right exactly as long as you got the the right speed for the corner yeah but don't don't get too excited like oh i'll slow down by sliding sideways no, <laughs> that's not the right way to do it in that case. But yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely I mean, have you time. ever opened the door like on the freeway, like when you're you got some speed? That puts a lot of a lot of pressure, you know, when you're going sideways. It's gotta it's gotta do a little something. A, a little something, but probably better to break in a straight line than just try and pitch it <laughs> sideways with that thing. And then hopefully you'll get down enough speed that you can do the the slight turn in right, right. and let the arrow work with you. I don't know. I don't. know. I'm not an arrow driver, so there we go. So. I always enjoy having you on the show to talk about ARA and their rules and stuff because you are always very candid and open and honest and don't mind sharing your opinion. So I very much appreciate that about you. No filter in, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> we had talked uh, about the rules coming into this year. Um, it was not on a podcast. We were, we were talking about the fuel regulations that uh, came in for this year for the open four-wheel drive national class because I know you wanted to compete as national originally right. T- tell me about what your thoughts are and the fact that they went to a, a mandated regulated fuel I'll, i will preface all of my answers to this saying that i understand the reasoning that preston and doug and, and anyone else behind the scenes that are coming up with these rules have and and making these these changes however i think a lot of 
this just tends to negatively impact competitors further on down the line. So it, it seems like starting with fuel, for example, you know, E85 we can get for what, like $4 a gallon or something like that for, for race quality E85. And then you throw in a spec fuel that is now $13 if you can get it. Right. And suddenly, you know, your your fuel cost is almost tripled. And yep. in the end of the day, is it a, a huge difference? I don't know. I mean, $400 versus $1,200. It, you know, I think that kind of depends on everybody's situation. To me, it's, it's enough to be like, that sucks because now that's, you know, one less set of tires that I can get or it's, you know, it's less money that I can help, you know, pay for the crew guys. And so it just all does kind of add up. Um, at the end of the day, if there's an unnecessary cost that isn't going to give me any more performance, and I don't think it's going to slow anybody ahead of me down to a degree that it's going to, you know, make any difference. So to me, it just makes it makes rally more expensive. Is it safer for competitors and and volunteers and all that sort of stuff because now people aren't putting whatever wazoo additives into their fuel? Yeah, and that is a good thing, but. If we're just talking at a competitive standpoint, to me, it, it, I think it just hurts the rest of us when we have to do this. And I do think that the the open four wheel drive field at the, on the national side is hurting because of it. For example, myself, I think Alejandro probably would have entered national as well, or whatever. You know, there's enough people that have have decided that they're now. George Plasac would have been another one, I think. Yeah, I mean, he he made the change. He did make um, the change, he's, but I mean, he's a, he's another one though that. I know was was frustrated with it. Right. So it's, I think it's unfortunate. And I think that's kind of the theme with most of the other rule changes as well, is that they're targeted to, you know, the top four or so open class cars, and they have these negative repercussions for, for everyone down the line from there. Does it help competition? Maybe. I don't know if we've seen any difference with the pace of the cars because of the rule change, but it hasn't made it safer for, for people. Yes. So, you know, there is a win in there somewhere. Yeah. I know, I guess from my standpoint, it's if it wasn't for the fact that they had tested the fuels randomly last year and found the weird additives in there, then it'd be like, come on. Isn't it typical that it's an Henri few (laughs) that tend to screw it up for the rest of us? I think that's just a fact of life. Yep. Seen that everywhere. And, and to, and to their credit, ARA is kind of a victim of their own success as a sport or growing. More people are interested, people wanting to win that much more, even though there's no dollars involved, right? You're winning pretty trophies, but that's kind of about it. But, you know, those bragging rights mean a lot to some folks, and they're willing to do little things to get that edge. Sure, and I, I am too. Like, I'm always looking at ways that I can exploit the rules you know however they're written if there's something that you know that you can do and if it's still in this you know spirit of the the rule book and it's something that you can do and that that kind of is why I, I bought the ferrari motor it was because the rules technically allowed it and like all right well if, if that's how it's written then then i can do that yeah so why not uh gonna ask more detail on that in just a bit sure the, the next rule i want to talk about though is the new guidelines um it's not an official rule yet is for the 2023 national open four-wheel drive class and how their target is to get things down to rc2 and you know which kind of combines the the rally two r5s the i guess it'd be like ap4s protos 
all the FIA homologated type things are for all that stuff are kind of in that same group. And hopefully getting that open four-wheel drive down to that, or, or I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking it's more like an R5 Plus. By putting in like a 33 millimeter restrictor, it looks like a bunch of the arrow stuff is now going to be gone, or additive arrow, I guess. Stuff that you can mold into a bumper looks like can still be there to some extent. No more of the uh, extra bodywork stuff that people were doing right. is going to go away. Diffusers gone, that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on what you've seen of the rules so far, and do you think it'll work? It will obviously slow the cars down some. I think the the additive arrow isn't as big of a contributor as as some people think. You know, most of that the aerodynamic advantage comes from how well that car is, you know, evacuating air out from under it and how much the the wing plays and balancing that downforce in the front of the car at the splitter level and with the wing in the back and how fast it's evacuating air out, all the extra canards and all that stuff. While it does add some, I don't think it's it's huge. The restrictor, obviously you're going to have lower, you know, top end power by re- reducing the amount of air that can go into the motor. So that, yeah, it'll slow them down. Will it change anything? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think it's still go a little bit slower, but I think the, the lineup will still be the same. And that's not necessarily just because of the performance of the car. It's just because of the the teams that are involved. You have, you know, Subaru Motorsports has, you know, the, a huge facility where all they're doing is refining, doing R&D, and they're going out to doing actual testing. And they've got a whole army of people that are, are there to make them as fast as possible to win events. And I don't think that's going to, these rules are going to change anything to that effect. You know, same thing with, with Barry, if he chooses to, you know, I don't know what he's going to run, you know, bring bring what he has down to that class or, you know, go back to an R5 plus type platform. Uh, who knows? But, you know, if you still just have the the cash to compete at that level, meaning you've got the crew, you've got the tires, you've got the testing, all that sort of stuff, that's what's going to make you competitive at the end. I think his previous WRC car, the one that we called the S2000 turbo, whatever, because the chassis is an S2000, but after all the add-ons he did, pretty much was a WRC car. I think that car, other than make sure the wing wasn't, you know, met within requirements, I think that one would totally fit into the new rule set. Yeah, I think it's for sale right now, but... Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, the current one, boy, I think there'd have to be a lot of... You'd have to get rid of the, the splitter, you'd have to get rid of the diffuser. I don't know if those are things that are... It doesn't seem worth it. Yeah. Like you'd probably just be better off selling that to another national level competitor in a country that has where it's open for it very lax rules yeah yeah it's kind of interesting I, I like the idea of targeting trying to get to that rc2 as, as a target for more people to be able to get there but yeah i think you're right you know the development that you can do with these top teams they're going to find a way and i personally wish that when we have a rule change that's kind of this dramatic that we'd have an additional year to get ready for it you know it'd be like two years down the road so a eh, selfishly I get to see these WRC cars another time. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and, and plus they get a little more value out of the darn things, you know, being able to run them at more events. Although, you know, Ken doesn't own the one from Hyundai. That's a, that's a lease deal, but, but, but I think it'd be kind of cool to, to see them a little bit more. And then on top of that, just allow a privateer to have some time to maybe work on developing to a new rule set. But, you know, to me, it's strikingly obvious that they're releasing these rules now because Vermont Sports Car, for the factory Subaru team, they're working on building the car that's going to be based on the 2022 WRX. Right, and that's I think that's why these rules are the way they are. Like, if you wanted to, in my opinion, 
if you want this to work, that you just make RC2 the top class and call it a day. And that's that's worked in many, many other countries. You know, Australia, New Zealand, they've got the, the AP4 rule set too to make a comparable car to a Rally 2 or R5 so that you can do a home build version, which in my mind, like that's that's a great answer. You know, like just just do that. Could you make your car meet what is technically that spec? Uh, with enough time and effort, yeah, and money. Okay. And that, that's actually been my overall kind of plan was kind of targeting that sort of setup. And I've been eyeing and researching different sorts of suspension options out there to get longer travel and a little bit wider track and all that sort of stuff. And that's why I was doing that body work before um, was to be able to fit that sort of stuff in there. And that's still, still probably is a plan. I'm really just kind of waiting to hear back what the restrictions will be on the Ferrari motor first before I kind of decide what direction I want to do. So yeah, let's, let's talk about that Ferrari. <laughs> so is this like a, one of those naturally aspirated V8 Ferrari motors? Yeah. So this all started, you know, I'm, as you mentioned, I, I was, went back on active duty for a little bit and had a little bit of time on my hands on this last deployment. And I was just looking at the rules and like, all right, what can I do? What can I do? Uh, and I was looking at the, the different, you know, motor restrictions and restrictor sizes and all that stuff for all the different classes. And, you know, I knew that Pat Morrow has his V8 in the Sonic uh, as LS, but it was, you know, fairly large displacement over five liters or whatever, I think. But I noticed in the rules, it was like, all right, 4.5 liters and below, there's no restrictions to the motor whatsoever. I was like, well, all right, well, there's got to be some pretty peppy motors that are, are around that displacement. So I was, you know, looking them up and I found, you know, some statistics on all the all the different motors of, at that displacement. And the Ferrari 458 was like the fastest production or highest horsepower production motor at 4.5 liters. And I was looking at those. I was like, oh, that's a $35,000 motor used. Uh, that's a little pricey. So I just kind of looked around and like within that family of motors, the motor from the Ferrari California, which is a 4.5 mm. or 4.3 liter, you know, makes a hundred less horsepower, but still in the upper four hundreds, I was like, well, that still sounds pretty awesome, let alone actually sounding awesome. So let's try to find one. And I found one for a pretty decent price, I thought, at least compared to a fully built, you know, Subaru motor with the turbo and, you know, everything dressed, it was very comparable. Uh, so I pulled the trigger and got one. And then I kind of shooting myself in the foot for telling anybody because I feel like if had I not brought it up, the rules might not have changed yet. So <laughs> yeah, so it's it's sitting, I have it, it's in sitting next to the car. Uh, I've got multiple emails out to Doug and Preston asking what the restrictions are going to be. And he's telling me it's going to be any day now. So we'll see if it's if it still makes sense, then I'll do it. If not, I don't know. I guess I'll sell it and you put that money towards some R5 like suspension. You definitely would get uh, some of those attention in the service park and uh, <laughs> and in park expose when people see that motor. Um, I actually, in in a previous life of, of things I was doing, I knew somebody that had a Maserati Quattroporte, which also I believe had that motor in it. So yeah, it's the it's the same. Same family of motor, the F-136. Yeah. But the Maseratis have cross-plane crankshafts, while the Ferraris have flat planes. So oh, that's why gotcha. the sounds are different. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this thing this thing growled a bit. Right. But yeah, kind of different note. But boy, it I, got, I actually got to drive it. And that was the highest horsepower car I'd ever gotten to drive before. And man, I, I couldn't get out of second gear. It was so fast. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're quick. They're definitely quick. And I've, you know, I've ran some simulations with that motor under... 
uh, stock form, what I think would be with race gas, what I think will be with you know, anticipating some restrictions and stuff. And it, it still is going to do pretty well. Still faster than what I currently have. Your tire budget is going to be insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have the torque, right? So coming out of corners, it's not going to, it's not necessarily going to have that, that axle torque actually ripping tires through the gravel, but it's when it's between, you know, six and 8,000 RPM, just singing. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Wow. Yeah. That's, you know, I think that's something that's from a motorsports fan standpoint, I think it's something we, we were, as we transition away, you know, we start getting more of these small displacement motors with turbos and things like that. We're missing that old fashioned NA high RPM stuff, which it's, it's such a glorious sound. It really is. I mean, even just, even the small motors that run at high RPM, you know, you look at uh, the old Mark II Escorts and whatnot that are still running those and yep. they just, they just sound good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always watched videos of Andy Burton's Peugeot Cosworth out in the BRC and I was just, I love that car. Is that like the F2 days? So it was a one-off car that he had made and it had... Oh, uh, that you know, one. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then it got on. banned. Yeah. Yeah. And it just sounded glorious. And, a, you know, I think it was a like a 206 Maxi sort of base. And then he put that Peugeot racing motor. I, I can't remember if, like what series it, it was. It was but, an F1 motor, wasn't it? I think it was a former F1 uh, motor or something. It was... I want to say it was like from... German touring cars. It was it was some specific race series. I don't think it was F one, okay. but it was definitely from like you know a road race car that was just strung out to the max. I think they had to change like the pistons and piston sleeves every event to keep Jesus. that thing running. And it's just <laughs> it that's how strung out it was. Yeah. Oh man. Well, obviously you wouldn't have to have deal with that maintenance, but you would definitely have some uh, some good sounding stuff and. I'm all for this idea, you know, again, just it would also add to, I think, that differentiation we were talking about that American rallying tends to have beyond what you tend to find in in a lot of other countries. And as everybody kind of goes more the FIA homologation route. And and I understand that ARA has a tough time trying to balance that. You know, I've, I've talked about many times, you know, competition versus, you know, trying to open things up to add variety. And obviously homologation kind of forces close competition. Right. But you want to have that diversity, the ability to develop, to come up with new ideas and, 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 and be somewhat original, too. And the, the only way they get away with it sports cars is because they have all this data that they do to um, do balance of performance. Those cars are so different. The only way they can do it is by rule changes that come out every race. Right. And they have to adjust. You get a little bit less fuel or you get a little bit le- less downforce. You you get less tires. It, they come up with all these different rules for these guys. And, and obviously that's circuit racing. But it's it just goes to show just how difficult it is to take cars that are designed so differently to be able to compete at the same level. Yeah, it's tough. I mean... In a way, we're kind of lucky because gravel is a limitation in itself. Good point. So you can only go so fast on gravel, no matter what you got. But you know, at the end of the day, like it's great to have this variety, and I'm and I realize that I am personally contributing to this problem of trying to have this you know balanced upper echelon of the sport. And if at the end of the day, you know, they said, "Hey, R5 is the top class, and that's just the way it's going to be," then would it be frustrating? Yes, but I would understand it and get behind it and if that's what we need to do to promote the competition at the top of ara then then so be it you know as long as we're still going down this route of allowing other cars and having that that american ingenuity spirit still be part of ara and let it show forth then yeah i'm gonna 
keep pursuing it and you know talk about the president he's he's all for it too he just wants to find you know the fairest way to to implement it and allow it and, and make it happen well i i hope it i hope it does happen and, and but now if you do go kind of more like you're saying like, like the r5 route with the setup explain that and it would this be kind of like with the ap4 where they have actually a kind of standardized package of engines and and four-wheel drive transmission and differentials and stuff like that that you just plug into any chassis that, that AP4 does, which is kind of similar to what Maxi down in Argentina and right. Proto does, Poland and things like that. Or are you going to do just really kind of focus on the suspension side of things? It would just be focusing on the suspension side of things and utilizing what I have. You know, being that it's a Subaru with or without the Ferrari motor, the motor is still pretty far forward. It's, you know, it's not transverse mounted and stuff like that. So it's, um, I'm not going to like put a different motor and transmission in the car to be like an AP4 or R5. Uh, just kind of keep whatever I have uh, and then adopt some, the dampers, the uprights and longer control arms to make all of that work essentially is is the, the long goal. So there's only so much cash flow going into my rally budget so right. it's got to be one or the other this year so depending on how that goes it either start with the ferrari motor this year and then you know look at maybe doing that stuff next year or the year later just kind of depending on how things go but that has been the plan for a while one other thing that i wanted to ask you about which i found interesting is we saw not one but two of the new rally three fiestas out at uh, oregon trail now that jason bailey has one right. i believe it was will hudson was also interested in getting one himself. Obviously, they're, they're still very new, only one manufacturer making them currently. I was just wondering what your thoughts on the jokingly grassroots. Okay, yeah, it certainly is not. But from you know what it sounds like, it's 90% of the performance you're getting out of, of what an R5 would do for about a quarter of the cost. Yeah, it seems like a great, great option. In my opinion, that should be like the level of the limited four-wheel drive cars. Gotcha. I would think that if you can make the Rally 3 compete against limited four-wheel drive cars, that would be a great class that yeah. becomes a little bit more affor- affordable, uh, but would still have great competition. I think actually that's a, that, that's actually a good target point to put it, because yeah, right now they're considered open class based on the way our classes are structured. I'm sure they could just adjust the rules say, and include, you know, FIA Rally 3 in here. But um, but as it is currently, yeah, you're right. They, they are open class and they're nowhere near quite where the open class are. But it's neat to see that that uh, platform, uh, from it sounds like, yeah, it can really move when if you if you push them. Kind of a new thing, but I personally hope it grows. And if we get so many of the damn things from different manufacturers that we have to have its own class, that would be awesome. But I'm not sure if we'll get there. So, But yeah, I think you're right. The limited four yeah, is a good spot. Yeah, that's a tough one to sell. Yeah. That is how I kind of see it. Because, like, you know, a limited four-wheel drive car can be just as competitive as a privateer open class car here, just given the rules that are that are in that class. I think if we limited those a little bit more to to level that playing field, then it starts another bracket of competition that would be a little bit more attractive for people to, to go after. Well, I'm really hoping that that the Matt gets his car fixed and the other Matt Brassfield gets his uh, new build you know, sorted out so they we can have, uh, and then Seahorn, who also went back down to Limited 4, those three can be down in that class and, and performing well together and have some good close competition. I know those guys are all pretty, not too far from off from each other when it comes to performance, so they just got to get their cars sorted so we can have a proper fight between all three of them and we can get some Rally 3s in there. That would be, that'd be fun to see that, too. So suspension stuff, which the suspension on those cars, you're right, they are 5s. Oh, my God, it's insane. Well, you probably saw firsthand how it looked with what was left all over the road from uh, Kyle Tilly's crash. Um, 
<clears throat> yeah, that was that was painful to see. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad everybody's okay. You know, obviously they rolled and stuff, and it was and it ended up being okay. But ugh, wasn't pretty. That's for sure. But no, it wasn't. I watched that cart get put into the trailer. It was a sad sight, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah not fun. I was going to ask you about um, maybe it was the last time we talked. I, you know, I was looking up. You know, when we were about to start this call, and it showed the last time I uh, I did a Skype call with you was 2018. Holy cow! I know I've talked to you since then, but it seems like way long ago. Back then, I believe we were talking about sim racing, and you had your VR set up and whatnot. Do you still do any of that? Not a ton. I still have it. I still hop on every once in a while. Actually, the last time I did it was uh, right before Oregon Trail. We had uh, we had Blaze over from uh, that, that works on George Plasek's car. He was in town prepping the, the car, and we were both working at Nameless. And I was like, we just want to get dinner and grab a couple of drinks. And we came back and busted out the, the the VR and had him going. And then he went full engineer and was having me do all the the adjustments to the car and get back on track. It was it was a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I, want, I want to come watch that sometime. Watch you guys playing around with that stuff. That sounds like a lot of fun. My machine here can't quite handle VR. I've got to build probably a new machine. And what, you'd have to take out a loan to get a video card these days that can handle a VR. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Just get that. <laughs> pay for it by you know mining that Ethereum at the same time. There we go. Well, I think what, what I, I hear friends are doing, they're actually buying like a pre-built computer like from Dell or something like that or Alienware or whatever it is and that has like a... 30, 60, 30, 70, whatever it is, card in it. And it's cheaper to buy the whole computer with one of those ones that come pre-built than it is just to buy the card separately. I believe it. <laughs> it's dumb. I believe it. <laughs> All right. Before I let you go, I, I did want to kind of think a little bit farther down the road then. Obviously, you know, the waiting on some rules and things like that. But where would you, if, if you were the president, where would you like to see kind of the direction of things in the next two, three years. It's hard to project out because economy changes, people come and go in the sport as we've seen over the years, but we're kind of riding this wave of popularity. Where would you like to see things go from your standpoint as far as the the different rules? Would you like to see different classes adjusted? Would you like to see, how would you like to see open four so you can get back into it? What, what would you change? Well, the anarchist in me says no rules and just go as fast as you possibly can. Travis was saying um, that too. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you should ask Rihanna how she feels about that. Um, or any co-driver, probably. <laughs> so, you know, there's part of me that's just like, let let gravel be the limit. You know, just do do whatever it is. But that's, you know, that's going to go into the realm, realm of being completely unsafe. And I get that. So, uh, in my opinion, it's just for the open classes, just limit the power um, however that makes sense, let everything else go. Limit all of your other classes below that. Just have good, solid, enforceable rules. But beyond that, like I don't I don't feel a need to change a whole lot. I, I accept the fact that I don't have a multi-million dollar yearly budget to compete at the two, three spots ahead of me in the uh national the lineup at yeah. the end of the day. Like it's it's just not gonna happen no matter what rule changes occur so i'm all for seeing these cars go as fast as they can just so long as you know people are are making it to the end of the day and, and not not getting hurt seeing these events being sold out just tells me that there isn't a whole lot that we need to do sure it'd be good to have a little bit closer competition but we could also a lot of us privateers can raise our game up a little bit too and make 
the rest of the top 10 just as exciting or even more exciting. It's just going to take us all, you know, putting a little bit more effort into it. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be be budget wise. It's just, you know, putting the time in and prepping the cars right and making sure that you're finishing events and making yourself a little bit faster as a driver. Uh, I think a lot of the cars out there and the I would say over half of the cars out there can be driven to top 15 if it has the right driver in it. They just have to, I think people just need to put some more effort into becoming better drivers and, and ring out every possible second that they can out of what they have and, and themselves. That's why I'm kind of excited about being in the, the regional category because talking to a couple of people, like just to be upfront, I wasn't super stoked on entering regional coming from you know, stepping down from the national level competition just because I thought it would ruin the competition there. Yeah. But what I've found talking to a few people, and I don't know if this is universally true, but the little bit of feedback that I've had is that it's, you know, it's forcing people to kind of step their game up too um, so that they can be competitive in the in the regional classification. And I think that's a great thing at the end of the day. Like if people are trying a little bit harder and they're pushing a little bit more and they're putting a little bit of effort into it, then that's what's going to make the sport here in the United States a little bit more competitive. You know, that's actually a really good point. You know, in the years that I've been involved and uh, especially, you know, more tied with ARA when they first started in 2017, you know, I saw a lot of the goals in the earlier years of that was how do we get more people to enter as national, right? And now that's pretty full, <laughs> right? You've got where Derek Nelson is going to be entering in as uh, as a national. You've got, you know, these guys that are that are doing that and now it's like, well, the regional guys are elevate them now, right? Because we've moved over some of those those top drivers. Now, if we take some of those guys that have learned some things maybe over there and bring them back to regional, it kind of helps elevate that too. I think it's a good thing if we can make the regional that much more and more competitive. I guess you know, again, just bringing more of the the, the top talent on the regional side and somehow bring value to that and, and other folks learning from folks like you that are entering into that and want to keep moving up. Then then maybe they take a shot at national and they learned something from that regional being at, the, at a higher level before they go into national. I think that, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And realistically for, you know, 90 plus percent of us, we sh- probably should be in the, the regional categories anyway, because we're not, you're not traveling. Maybe we do one, one or two events that's outside of our, our region yep. a year. If that, it just makes sense to, to have stronger regional competitions. So what is next for uh, Sam Albert Rally? So, uh, you know, the motor is the plan for the summer. If we're feeling froggy, we might head down to Rally Colorado, depending on where things are at. Uh, and then we'll do the two regionals in the fall with uh, Tour de Forest and, and Mike Nagel Regional Rally. And if we've got some extra budget, then the plan is to do a new event that I haven't done before and head out to LSPR. Excellent. Yeah, LSPR is supposed to be really fun out there. Well, I've been there once. And being there in the fall, oh, it's gorgeous. It's good just to even just, just go witness it. The, the color of the leaves at the same time, you got rally cars going by. You know, you're talking about that beautiful sunset picture that you had with, uh, with your car at PIR as the dusk was setting in. Just imagine that with a bazillion trees uh, all with their autumn leaves and oh dude yeah. it, it's, it's something else yeah, it looks it looks like a great event and, and the roads are awesome i've said for a while that i want to try to do one event each year that i haven't done before and i haven't done it yet this year so that seems to be the the one that would line up for us hopefully though they clear clarify the rules on the uh, on the on the ferrari motor because that that just sounds yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are looking forward to it sam thanks for taking the time to chat with me man good luck to you 
yeah, we'll check in and, and see how you're doing later on this season. And, and, and again, maybe, maybe we'll get like an audio clip of, of, of that Ferrari motor if, uh, if you get to drop that in. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and thank you, Mike, for having me. It's always a pleasure being on the podcast. All right, dude. Take care. All right, see ya. Know what I hate? Big, bulky, underperforming batteries. Lighten your load with Performance Battery from Melee Design Firm. They have time-tested solutions for your race car, rally car, or even your daily commuter. Make sure you check us out at MeleeDesignFirm.com, a proud sponsor of the Open Paddock Rallycast since 2020. Thanks again to our supporters, Oz Rally Pro and Melee Design Firm, and a special thanks to you that have donated to the Rallycast. It's been a big help with the increase in hosting costs we've seen over this past year, and it does make a difference. If you'd like to make a donation to our podcast, go to openpaddock.net and click on the little PayPal donate link. So uh, we always appreciate any little bit help keep this thing going. Also, big thank you to our audio engineer, Derek Johnson-Love, who not only makes my voice sound somewhat tolerable, but also adds in some fun car sounds here and there. Maybe we should do a car sound quiz sometime or something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks for listening. Tonight, this is in heaven,